How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Joe. You're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 86. That's, yeah, 86. There you go. See, you caught on to it before I, my brain ticked. Well, I struggled last week, didn't I? Was it last week? No, like, I think you're fine last week. I have had episodes where I'm like, what episode is this? Yeah. <laughs> I'm waiting for the one where you're like, you're like 20 weeks off. I'm like, man, I, what is this? <laughs> That'd be great. Well, we're slowly itching to 100. Zeke, are you ready for your quote from a 1986 film? Yes. This is the first time I'm quoting you a film that I'm sure you've seen, but I haven't seen. Okay. So I had to do a little research to make sure the quote was accurate. Okay. And I wasn't just looking up on a Google Doc and be like, does this make sense? <laughs> All right, so you're three for two right now. You're in the lead. Yes. It could be tied if you fail. Oof, that's pretty dramatic. <laughs> Very dramatic indeed. <laughs> Are you ready for your quote? Yeah, let's go for it. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. Oh, man. I have seen this film, and I've completely, oh, I'm blanking on it. I think the, the cogs are turning. If you think about it, there's a film I haven't seen. Yeah. I've seen the original of this film. But this is a very famous sequel from 1986 that I haven't seen yet. Man, I don't know if I can remember it off the top of my head. Now, the reason this quote's been in my head for a while is because Family Guy did this. We've still been like, game over, man, game over. And I was like, that quote's stuck in my head, but I've never seen the film. Do you want me to tell you what the film is? Yeah. It is James Cameron's Aliens. I was thinking it was Aliens. It was just in my head. Yeah. I like, like, I don't want to pull the trigger on I haven't that. seen Aliens. You haven't? No. Oh. I've only seen the original. Me too. There you go. I could, oh, interesting. I need to be more vigilant of your letterbox next time. Perhaps. Really? Did I, uh, have I rated it on letterbox? No, 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 no. Um, I just mean, I never, I just assume what you've seen. I'm, I never actually check your letterbox. But from now on, maybe I should. Because That's okay. I probably I mean, would have. It's 3 yeah. 3 now. You're 3 for 3 now. I'm just now. letting you back into the game. Uh, yeah, well, I, see, I feel bad now because I try to quote films you have seen at least. No, but it's a pretty famous film. It's kind of a must. It's If anything, it's encouraging me now to go and watch there that film. There you go. Well, we should watch it together because I've, I've never seen it either. No worries. Well, moving go. into what we've watched in the last week. Jake, do you want to kick us off? Sure. I haven't seen a lot this week. Okay. I was hoping to see more, but that that's quite okay. Mm-hmm. I did a double feature last, uh, I think it was Wednesday, because Luna have their cheaper Wednesday deal. I finally pulled the trigger. I was like, I'm going to watch two films back to back. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna befriend all the people at the, you know, at the counters. Really? Losers watching movies by himself. That oh, was fun. <laughs> Did you befriend any uh, any any notable characters? Uh, not really. Actually, there was a very nice old lady that, while walking out of the film, because I was sitting by myself, she started having a conversation with me, and told me something about the film I had just watched that I had absolutely no idea. So I might as well start with that. So I watched a little film called We'll End Up Together. Mm-hmm. And I, I watched the entire... You and this old lady. <laughs> yeah, me and this old lady and a, and a few other elderly... It's Wednesday afternoon. It's, yeah. The only people watching these films are retirees and me. So... <laughs> um, no, but here's the thing about this film. The, it, the other title for this film is Little White Lies 2. And she informed me that this is actually a sequel to another film. I was like, oh, really? I did not pick up on that watching this. 
So it didn't feel incoherent or... No, not really. In fact, so this is the film I've jokingly said looks like old people version of the script that I wrote earlier this year. Mm. Where it's a bunch of people who sort of come together at this holiday house. And in in the case of this film, uh, it's someone's 60th birthday. So a group of his family and friends come together. And Mm -hmm. it's one of those hangout films. It's very much like a much more matured grown-ups, I guess is the way I'd put it. I think it's a French film. It's foreign language, so it's you know all subtitled and everything. But I was sort of watching it from that perspective of okay, what can I learn from this film in terms of how they yeah, yeah. write their characters, how they all have their dynamics and stuff. So I didn't question the fact that I was just sort of plopped into this situation, and that none of the characters had like a very introductionary introduction. Mm-hmm. They all just sort of came on, and you kind of had to follow mm, with, that's, okay so yeah that's fair yeah like oh that, that's this person's personality this is this person this so is you're gonna person. aim to watch the first um, one yeah i'm kind of keen now because like yeah i watched this whole film didn't question it mm-hmm. and it's like oh there's an entire film prior to this i think it takes place like seven years earlier that is all the same characters same cast and right. everything which i was like oh that's really neat so i appreciated um watching it without that context because that's again that's something with the script is I sort of wanted to feel like you're jumping into a, in a into a story maybe halfway through or there's a lot of backstory you need to catch up on mm. while you're watching it so um but I actually I really enjoyed it it was a little long at parts with a couple of little like uh, filler bits maybe mm-hmm. um all in service of like, oh this would be a cool angle if we can get them skydiving here that would look really cool but um other than that yeah I thought it was a really good film well, Jake, I actually uh, managed to catch quite a few things this week. Ooh, another um, busy week for you? Uh, not as busy as last week. We sat in at, well, seven films, including the film of the week. So one for one. Right. Very nice. Um, you actually watched one, or at least the last minute of something, of one of the documentaries. I, uh, w- I, I walked in on you finishing a doco, yeah. I watched, uh, just looking at it, three documentaries this week. So Oof. one stand-up special and three films. So, You're learning, Zeke. You're learning stuff. I am. I, I really... Um, so, f- to kick it off, I watched two um, two sport-related films. Hmm. One was a documentary, Bobby Robson, More Than a Manager, which was about the football manager extraordinaire, uh, Bobby Robson. Who's uh, more than a manager. He is more than a manager. Just goes <laughs> through his life and how he managed to turn a second-rate uh, soccer club Ipswich Town into an FA Cup championship team, his mm. time at Barcelona. Just sort of a, a biographical documentary, and I found that really interesting because I don't know a lot about uh, soccer culture or football culture in that in that field. Right, yeah, I know Aussie yeah. rules, but I don't know. So I found it quite interesting as a documentary. Um, yeah, just a good biographical. Yeah. Well, you usually get like the player's perspective. Or... Well, they do yeah. get quite a few uh, pieced cameras from ex-players that were under his uh, management. Right, so yeah. that was pretty handy. Um, I actually caught Ron Howard's Rush this week. Um, right, yeah. You, were, you mentioned this to me the other day, actually. And I really, really enjoyed it. Mm. Um, it's got uh, Chris Hemsworth and uh, Daniel Brühl, who um, oh, yeah. were both in uh, Avengers. They were both, uh, both in the MCU films. Who's Daniel Brühl again? Uh, he was um, Zemo. In uh, Civil War, he's the. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. His name's Zemo. I think it's Zemo or something. Well, Zemo. I, I, when you said the name, I knew who you were talking about. So easily the least enough. least villain villain. <laughs> um, he's just a guy. He's just a guy who sets up a lot of spec, yeah, and then hides in a little uh, little thing while. 
it like a little glass, glass tube, or, tube something? or something? Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. I really like that movie. I think Civil War is probably my favorite. Civil War's great. Yeah. Um, Rush, yeah. And yeah, it. that's about uh, F1, uh, Formula One driving. Uh, and uh, honestly, I was really impressed by this film. Mm. Ron Howard, is for me, has always been not... You're not a huge fan of him. Not a, but I'm not anti him either. Right. Uh, I think he's just a very competent director, but he's not a director that I'd be like, go to for a really normally a super like not a very engaging director i think of you know the you know you think of a beautiful mind which is the one that won him a lot of his oscars mm. i thought that film was fine um he did uh, the first iron man movie didn't he no that was your boy favreau favreau did that one well i'm checking now because i feel like i haven't watched a lot of his films i've seen the grinch and i've seen solo but i'm not going to blame him for my dislike of Solo. Uh, 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 da Vinci Code. I've I've watched maybe the first hour of Da Vinci Code. Never yeah. thought it was. Oh yeah, engaging. yeah. The Inferno. Apollo Angel thirteen was fun. Yeah. A lot of very like, not bad, but just not like top kind of Oscar Beatty safe films. Normally, yeah. And, and I and I say this as someone who hasn't really seen any of his films. Yeah, just, and yeah. If you if you ask me, all right, which did you prefer, Zeke, Rush or Ford vs Ferrari? It definitely mm. would be Rush. Okay. Um, it Rush had. Some really good cinematography. I think his cinematography has always been really solid. Um, mm. Whoever he has good good eye for shots. I think stylistically it was really good. The performances. This was one of the better performances I've seen out of Chris Hemsworth. It's nice seeing Interesting. him and quite early on as well. And yeah, and it, it's nice. It comes back to it's it's like with all of them with Chris Evans with Chris Hemsworth. Mm. You know, it's really nice to see them outside of that thing that made them a lot of money basically yeah know? yeah and i remember chris uh, evans and gifted and there was a very it wasn't a flashy performance but you're right it was nice to see him just be a guy and he's like a caring yeah. father it, exactly yeah. exactly and this is sort of well he plays an arrogant driver who's you know kind of driven by the the flamboyant lifestyle of an f1 race uh, while right. daniel Brühl was more calculating um they play off each other really well. Mm. Um, it was a very... It goes... I think it's just over two hours. Really nice seating. Was, was watched it. Didn't even realise time was going by. Oh, just like it when zoomed, you were in a race car? I was about to say. Just <laughs> zooming through like <laughs> I beat, an F1. I beat you to it. You did. Um, I'll just throw it back to, to you now. Yeah. Um, well, I did watch a documentary myself. That was the other uh, film that I saw at Luna. My little double feature. My little My little seat. I sat in the exact same seat in the same theater mm-hmm. as well, I'm, which is why the time was so. Wait, so in the one that we saw, uh, Tenant? No, it was next door to it. It was Cinema Seven, not Five. Um, so it was like a twenty-eight seater maybe, but I sat in the same seat because it was the same um cinema between the two films, and I watched Fantastic Fun Fungi, or right. they they pronounce it in the film. And this is I guess the American pronunciation as Fungi, which I don't like that at all. I don't think that's correct. That's odd. Yeah, it's fungi, fungi. Is it foreign? Uh, no, it was in English, but I think it was just like an American hmm. documentary. Now, here's the thing. I, because I watched this quite, ah, oh, damn it, I had, a, I had a funny joke and I ruined it by explaining what I watched. I was going to make a joke being like, I watched the latest Brie Larson film because she narrates it, which oh. I didn't realize until the credits. I was like, oh, that was her. Such a fun guy. <laughs> Ah, you're a... Someone says you, she's a you, Marvel. 
you got me back twice now <laughs> for stealing your one joke. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, so I was like, I guess that's neat, I suppose. But I actually really liked the Docker a lot, just because okay. it felt. So what's it about? So it's essentially about fungi, and it's like grass and plants and herbs and mushrooms and sort of the evolution of that nature, and it's filled with gorgeous like time lapse shots of it growing and, and, and uh, sprouting, I suppose. And it was just so fun. At, the, well, at first, when you're watching it, it's like, this is so apolitical. Mm. It's really refreshing. Because, like, oh, it's just, I feel like I'm learning. Like, it's, yeah. it's just one of those docos, and it's really well shot, and it's entertaining, and it's it's very, it's like 80 minutes or something. It's very nicely paced. I was like, I'm having a lot of fun. And then you sort of get to the other end of the doco, and you realize it's actually more of a commentary on... Uh, its placement in health treatment and the, you know the psychedelic effects that it can have from human consumption and all that. So I was like, okay, cool. They actually twisted it around and, and had this in- interesting message. And what I found out is going through Letterboxd afterwards is that a lot of people were like, this is propaganda crap. I hate this. You know, zero stars. You, I, you can't give zero stars. But but, but they, why? They, I, here's the thing. I don't know. Because we talked about, I think it was last week, I talked about the 9-11 doco mm. that's all about you know the pro conspiracy theory stuff and i had problems with it but i you know I, I was like this is my this is my understanding for the problems with it i don't understand this because it's like what harm is being done to be like oh we think mushrooms are good for health and you should use them for cancer treatment and stuff like i don't understand how that's bad mm. like it's just being like hey here's an alternative to other yeah, sort of like medicines. naturopathy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I and I thought the film was very well done, and translated that message pretty well. I'm trying to remember the guy. So Paul uh, Stamets, I think, is the name. He's sort of the the main guy that they keep cutting back to, and he's like a fun, you know, character, mm-hmm. quote unquote, like a fun subject to yeah, follow yeah. throughout the doco. And I, I, I just thought it was really well done to the point where I was like, I don't give a crap about all this. Oh, it's propaganda. It's like, dude, who cares? The nine eleven stuff's a little different because people died that day. Yeah, well, the, there is a political debate that comes with that sort of uh, uh, whole subject matter, whereas mm. this just sounds sort of like alternative medicine documentary. Yeah, it was. It was like I, I couldn't see, I couldn't fathom how this was inappropriately done. Mm-hmm. It seemed in well, in well natured documentary. Okay. Yeah. Well, I actually also managed to catch uh, the hitman's bodyguard. Right, um, yeah, I I've kind of seen it had it on in the background once. Samuel Jackson and uh, Ryan Reynolds yep. um, came out in 2017. I always thought it came out last year, but no. must have just flown by. No, it's been it's around for a little serviceable. while. Uh, it's not as good as it's sort of kind of going from the same school of thought as the Nice Guys, but I think the Nice Guys is okay. from which is Gosling and Crow. Um, I saw a scene from like the, it's on Netflix right now. The the Nice Guys. Mm. And there's a scene in it. I was just. I remember I watched that in the cinema and I really enjoyed it. And just watching it back, I was like, oh, that's a really funny movie. I've, but I've got it on Blu-ray. I still got to watch same it. Same thing with these two. I mean, can you... We They're both unanimously known for being very funny. Yeah. Straight-faced sort of people. So you put them together, of course you're going to get a fun movie. And mm. and the action scenes are pretty solid. I was just solid. about to ask about the action scenes. Yeah, they're yeah. really good. They're really good. Okay, um, cool. So a good mix between the two. Um, so uh, yeah, I would. You've got an extra 118 minutes. You know, perfectly <laughs> fine. Directed by Patrick Hughes. 
who has done... Yeah, what does he do? That's a very familiar name. Not a lot. Uh, Red Hill, Expendables 3. And... Oh, that's odd. He, just, he did the third one, I guess. And he's going to have the Hitman's wife, wife's bodyguard, which is the sequel. Oh, that's the name out. of the... Oh, that's... I like the name. That's yeah. a funny name. Yeah. So, um, and that's with... Uh... Yeah, so it's just a sequel. So, clearly... It have must have, have been, they not must... cast it yet? No, no, they have. They have okay. Uh, they've even got like a poster and everything. Oh, okay. So, so it might be around the corner, perhaps. Uh, 2021, apparently. Oh, yeah. So so it must have done reasonably well to get a sequel. Yeah, I uh, mean, I guess with that star power, it's got to make its money back at least, surely. Yeah, and it was funny. Like, when yeah. it was trying to be funny, it was actually pretty funny. Um, it's very hard not to un-Deadpool Reynolds now. He every time he talks, yeah. He's just... well, th- no, yeah, you're right. This would have been just after Deadpool as well. And even for Samuel Jackson, I mean, his character was. I he's got a pretty good range, but I think in the last couple of years, you know, with some of his action ones, he's very like, uh, you know, it's hard to beat his Kingsman's Valentine. I think was probably. Oh yeah, I think Kingsman is one of his best him because he plays him. He always plays yeah. him, but. That yeah, you're right. That's the most fun, interesting version of him mm-hmm. he's done in a while. So yeah, so I, I caught that. that. Um, I caught Colin Quinn's Red State Blue State, which is a stand-up special. Yeah. I don't really talk too much about stand-up specials. Um, this one I really enjoyed. It's a very mm-hmm. politically charged one, discussing America's current state of affairs. It's a 2019. So I was going to say yeah, recent is yep. Um, and he's. Speaking of political alignment, he's actually pretty apolitical in a politi- mm. pretty politically charged comedy special. Um, I really liked he had a the show presentation. He had people behind, almost in a more kind of like a spokesperson preacher format rather than a stand-up comedy act. He didn't mm. have a mic and a stage and everyone ahead of him. Yeah. Or it wasn't in a nightclub like setting. It was in this in this theater but he had kind of peanut galleries scattered around the back part of the stage too so he okay. would put himself in the cent- he, he would put himself in the center of all these people but he'd turn around and talk to them and then turn around and talk to the main oh, audience so I've no- more concerts do that now i've noticed yeah there's a bit more of a surrounding circular feel to it circular feel yeah, yeah. absolutely he didn't uh he didn't come out from stage left or stage right he came through the crowd and he was talking he should have come from the, the crowd should have like um, in. <laughs> which sort of made it feel more grounded and like still a comedy show but almost like he wanted to present a more just an academic understanding of what's wrong with america it's not just one political alignment mm. or another political alignment. And I kind of liked that. Um, it was just a different presentation. I don't mind, I don't mind spicing it up. Right. No, that's fair enough. Was that his first special that you've seen? Or you seen that's the first one I've seen from him. It's not his okay. first special. There's another two. So I'm gotcha. having to catch those. But it's, it's basically your introduction. In yeah. Illinois. Cool. Which uh, would be interesting to see if that's a consistent, just the way he likes to do his shows, maybe. Um, yeah, I'm curious if that's the first time he did that stage setup. I my guess is it is because yeah. it's been like a more recent trend lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I caught two other. Speaking of stand up com, uh, comedians, com- comedians, <laughs> I watched Comedian, which is a documentary about Jerry Seinfeld's sort of return to the stand up scene oh, yeah. uh, following the end of Seinfeld. Um, and it was a per, it was a certain another it was sort of a very on the like following him on the road, but it was him and uh kind of the up and coming like it was Orny Adams who 
um, was at the time sort of on the verge of his 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 own big break. So we were following his story, right? Whereas okay. whereas at this time, you know, Jerry Seinfeld was a household name that was sort of trying to find his way back into the original scene that he. Mm. If if only they were dating, then it would be a Star Is Born. <laughs> yeah. So it was an inter- but it was an interesting to follow two people in two different career parts of their like parts yeah, of their career. Yeah, different trajectories. Um, I think it's a, quite a safe exploration. It focuses more on the performing aspect and less the personal. It barely touches on either of their personal lives. My, so, I don't know Jerry Seinfeld all that well, but. Yeah, and this if... documentary won't help you that much on it. <laughs> well, it feels like... talks about the performer. Rather. He feels like a private person. Yeah, there's a brief mention of, um, like, his family, and they show maybe 15 or 30 seconds of that sort of footage, but mostly it's just right. shows and talking about the routine. It's it's fine. Um, I think it doesn't really explore the grunge sort of side that certain other performance documentaries would explore. Um, it's pretty safe for the most part. Mm. Um, Did this come out at the time? Like 2002, after... yes. Yeah, so, so there was probably more of a promotion. There's a couple piece. of funny thing. well, things that have not aged well in terms of they all idolise uh, Bill Cosby. Oh. <laughs> like, you know they what? talk about how great he was is. Was that who was on your TV when I walked in? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I was like, oh, Zeke, what are you watching? <laughs> what are you yeah. doing there? <laughs> and that was sort of uh, an interesting one. Yeah. But, um, yeah. That's, uh, I got two more I can talk about, but uh, do you have any? I have one more. So there you go. We'll okay. shoot it off. Uh, the only other film I caught this week, this is, so, friend of the, I guess friend of the show, Damien. We haven't had him on yet, but mm-hmm. let's consider him a friend. He lent me a couple of movies recently, so I only managed to catch one so far. Uh, so he let me Departures, which is the uh, best foreign film winner in 2009. Okay. And I've heard great things. I've heard it's a very sweet and nice film. And I watched it, and it very much is that. I thought it was a very beautiful film. Uh, and I guess that's a, it feels corny when I'm like, oh, it, it explores death mm-hmm. and you know our dreams and ambitions and family. But yeah, it feels corny when I put it that way. But it really does structure all of those elements really well in, in such a unique concept of uh, this guy who's, you know, an up-and-coming uh, mm-hmm. cellist, I suppose, who's uh, the whole... What's what's the term would you use there? For... Like, for the orchestra. I guess I could just say orchestra. orchestra yeah. I feel like there's another word for it, though. But um, basically, they get, like, disbanded or dismembered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> dismembered. Like, now I'm thinking of all sorts of messed <laughs> up things. <laughs> Uh, but essentially, he needs to find a new job to keep going. So he moves back to his hometown with his wife. He sees an ad in the paper. Oh, departures! What is this? And it turns out that it's 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 more to do with uh, taking care of dead bodies mm. and either taking care of them, removing them from scenes, or uh, basically hosting this little ceremony where it's like, oh well, you know, let's let's appropriately like dress them and you apply a little bit of makeup. We're basically sending them off into the next world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's sort of the idea about it. it's very spiritual in that but it's just it's really interesting I like the way they did it and it's just really well constructed in terms of how the story goes and the pace is really like you're always interested in what's going to happen next mm-hmm. and uh, it ties itself up in a nice little bow the only problem I have with it and this is absolutely a me thing mm-hmm. as opposed to like a general thing is to create the drama they need his surrounding like friends or family to 
be dismissive or very judgmental about the job. Oh, why would you take that job? Mm-hmm. Like that's you know that's such a dishonorable job. And for me, I was I never got that. I was like, it seems like a fine job to me. Do what you need to get paid. Yeah, that's so, odd. Yeah, if I I to be fair, number one maybe culture clash. Yeah. Yeah, maybe you know maybe a bit more respectful needed with culture in this film. I think some people then, might be uncomfortable by it, but not dishonorable. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I think uncomfortability is a good way to put it, but yeah, and and again for me I think it's just I do find odd random jobs fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm the guy that ends up at the conveyor belt, you know, people removing needles through the the garbage and stuff like that stuff. I love seeing that kind of stuff. I don't I don't know. So maybe that was me me and my brain having to to, to shut that off so I can enjoy the film for yeah, what it was. Fair enough. But uh, I I thought it was great. There you go. No worries. Well, the only other two uh, that I had, I'm going to uh, start with one that I completely forgot about that I watched in the last week because it was actually the first thing I watched in the week. Uh, it was the ah. 2001 film by Stephen Herrick who has gone on to do... Well, he did The Mighty Ducks. And stuff oh, like that. there you go. Um, not really a hell of a lot more other than that. But uh, Rockstar, which was a kind of a soft... Uh, it was probably the worser of the two Rockstar films that came out in 2001 because the other one was oh. almost famous. And that <laughs> movie nice. was way better than this one. Um, this one stars Mark Wahlberg as a rock star, if you can pitch that. Yeah, I'm trying to. <laughs> um, it also co-stars Jennifer Aniston um, at the height of her mediocrity acting ability. Uh, I just They're both two very meh actors for me. Right. And he's had movies where I've been like, he's been well he's been well cast, but I do I think he's a good actor? She's the same. She I think the height of her the height of her performance came in a TV show, not in any of her movies. And she's always right. generally perfectly serviceable in all her movies, just like she is in this one. But I've never I, I think there's a reason why she, someone of her at the time where that would have been the height of her mainstream popularity, why she never broke past really being Rachel from Friends. and Yeah, I, I mean, that's common, though. That's, like, very rare to get out of, I feel like. Less so nowadays. Like, e- even for... Sure, but even for, like, huge TV shows, I feel like it's still sometimes hard to... I mean, like, how many actors got out of that Breaking Bad stigma? Like, well, we'll be talking about one few. later in the show. Oh, we will too, but um, but even so, like... I would say that... Like, even Mark, Aaron Paul is like, yeah, he's only really any good films outside of the ones related to Breaking Bad. True, but then he's also gone to other avenues too. Right, like, yeah. You wouldn't say Mark Hamill, just because he was most known for Luke Skywalker, did absolutely nothing else with his career. Yeah, well, I think Joker was a big... Yeah. Very well respected Joker voice. I think some people might honestly know. You might get Mm -hmm. to that point where that's probably more identifiable to him than uh, being being Luke Skywalker. For some people, for sure. Yeah, wouldn't surprise me at all. I think that. um, I think for her though, um, Jennifer Anderson. For Jennifer Anderson, I think that there was, and and for him too, because he would have come off Boogie Nights, which was huge film for him, and it's probably easily his best performance, and. I don't know. He's always just sounded, you know, I just, or every time I hear him talk now, if it's not in Boogie Nights, and I think that in Boogie Nights, he's almost elevated by how 
many other good actors he has around him. You mm. know, he's got his Burt, you know, Burt Reynolds and John C. Riley's in that. So it's sort of like he's got a lot of talent around him. Whereas I just don't see him for the most part carrying a film by himself. And then this one, he really had to. Yeah. And he's, I always just picture, I've never seen the happening, but I've seen some of those scenes from the happening. <laughs> and he always just has that little whininess to him, which is funny because he's such a like hard, tough looking man. Yeah, but I, I think part. I think the happening was absolutely a case of direction. Yeah, because Mark, I I think Mark Wahlberg is never that whiny in any other film. Yeah, when really. he is though, it's pretty funny. Yeah, <laughs> just every time. The, just the line of "What? No!" Like, <laughs> in its full context, is so funny. It's, yeah, yeah, that's a fun watch for <laughs> for many reasons. You know what I just realized as well? I've never ticked off the Mighty Ducks on my letterbox. Quack quack. Quack, quack, motherfuckers. So great. Um, and the only other film I caught, which is actually the one I probably think is going to uh, uh, prompt you with uh, the most exciting dis- discussion out of mm. all of these films. Okay. It's called Raiders, the greatest, uh, the story of the greatest fan film ever made. And this was the I story. I have heard about this. This is a documentary talking about three 11-year-olds who spent seven years of their life recreating shot-for-shot shot Raiders of the Lost Ark Damn. in the 1980s. And then... So they did this in the 1980s. In most of it, except for one scene, which was the plane fight scene. Right, gotcha. Um, everything else they recreated except the plane fight scene. And now they've come back like 25 years later to reshoot, uh, to do just that one scene. To reshoot That's that amazing. scene, I've always joked about films I did when I was eight, doing that yeah. now. <laughs> and you, it, it's sort of a, and they get, um, honestly, the person they spear, they get John Reese Davies to sp- kind of bookmark the start and the finish of it, and he was, um, he was one of the, he was the Egyptian, uh, oh, yeah, 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 guy, in it. and um, is Gimli in Lord of the Rings too. And he's got that very deep voice that's very like <laughs> charismatic. But yeah, it was an interesting exploration. I think uh, just the discussion about fan and how it went on at Button Button I think is how you say it. What was that? It accidentally went on the screen and it was meant to be another, it was meant to be the normal Raiders of the Lost Ark because it was meant to pre pre screen the new two towers, at the time, Lord of the Rings Two Towers, which was getting played exclusively at the festival. But they kept it on, and the, the whole audience was cheering as this fan film was being played. That's amazing. They cut it off 35 minutes in so they could fit the whole of Two Towers in the time slot, and people booed that they <laughs> took it off because it was that, that Well, 35 minutes in, you're invested. And honestly, they show some of the footage. It really was shot-for-shot shot remake. And for a bunch of kids that, at the time, v- it wasn't out on VHS, mm. so... The only way that they could That's what I was it, thinking. I was like, that's a task and a half. Is they would have to go and rewatch it. So mm-hmm. the commitment they put through to the, it was the fact that they committed to it for seven different summers, apparently. Like, that's insane. That's Is this on Netflix? Yeah. Yeah. I've got, I got to watch that. Uh, you are amazing. definitely going to watch that. <laughs> well, it's um, funny because, like, there's a few examples of, like, if you go on YouTube, you can find examples of this for, like, I think Toy Story, they did it, and Robocop as well. 
but I think especially for the RoboCop one, they actually sort of outsourced a lot of the work. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we're gonna all these people are gonna participate. They get one minute of the film to recreate, and what this does is every minute of the film is a different film. So it's recreating the same narrative, mm. but all of a sudden it's now a musical and an interpretive dance number, and then the next one is like puppets, mm. and it's like that's incredible as well. Yeah. But you're right, it's different time now. Well, it's, it's easy, especially because for those takes. those seven original years, it's like they're pubescent for those seven years. Yeah, they started like incredible. eleven, they finished at eighteen, so they can look completely different by the mm. end of it. And, um, especially like when they come back 20 years later and all they're all in their 30, late thirties, mm-hmm. something happens towards the end of the film. It's not like a super twist, but it's definitely like a, holy fuck that just happened moment. Right. Okay. Um, so I became shocker. Yeah. And eventually they do get to actually meet Steven Spielberg. Oh, that, that warms my heart. Yeah. So in an otherwise horrible time of existence. Yeah, no worries. That's all I watched <laughs> for the last week. There you go. Me too. Yeah, time to bridge into... Uh, do you have any career things you'd like to add before we move into the film of the week? I do. So, Zeke, I, I am very... My bones are crushed right now. Your bones are crushed. I am crawling into your room <laughs> exhausted. No, so uh, I've been working on... So if you go back to our Whiplash episode, I think that's... You have to help me. 63? Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. So um, we had our, our boy Stephen on. We did. And he pitched a film that he was going to work on later in the year called The Raven. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm lucky enough to, to help out this weekend. So uh, we did two days this past weekend. We're doing another two days next weekend to finish the film. And uh, yeah, it's been exciting being back on set, helping out. I'm gaffing, assisting, which mm-hmm. is why I'm so tired because I actually have to like move around. <laughs> Got a good workout. Oh, I bloody hope so, mate. <laughs> I'd better wake up with a six-pack tomorrow morning, <laughs> I tell you. Not sure that's how that works. Oh, well, it bloody should be. <laughs> um, but I'm also capturing some like behind-the-scenes stuff as well. So they're like, oh, whip out your camera, and um, if you could put together a couple of minutes behind the scenes, that would be really great. So, um, yeah, so that, that's sort of what I've been working towards, and it, it's very exciting. No worries. Well, I've got nothing to add on my front. But that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. I watch movies. You, you've had a good weekend anyway. That I have. And speaking of movies, it's time to move in mm. to our film of the week. But Jake, what are we watching? This week on the show, we're watching I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Jake, my boyfriend. It's snowing. Winter is coming in. We have a real connection. A rare and intense attachment. Full of misgivings, a young woman travels with her new boyfriend to his parents' secluded farm. This film was written and directed by Charlie Kaufman. Mr. Kaufman Charlie. Kaufman dot Charlie. (laughs) (laughs) Is that that as ambiguous as our review is going to be? No. (laughs) There's a humdinger, though. Yeah, I think first thing... I think we're going to put out is, I guess, a disclaimer is the thing I love about our podcast, see, yes, is I, I've always said, this, I feel the date that we do our shows is just as important as the film that we're doing. Okay. Because last week, for example, we did When Harry Met Sally. Yes. And we were able to talk about it's a legacy of it being a film that is decades old. Yes. And this is a film that is, I imagine in future years to come is going to be analyzed to death. Yes, and where we pretty much just watched it over the weekend mm-hmm. as it came out, and now we're going to talk about it in basically our initial impressions 
with a, maybe a little bit of reading and and tweaking of things. But, yeah. So um, I just want to put that out there. If, if anyone's listening to the podcast, oh, I'm going to learn what the ending means. It's like, well, I don't know if we can answer that no, yet. <laughs> and there's already been quotes from him himself saying mm. that he likes, he prefers to leave things up to interpretation mm. rather than having a full black and white correct or wrong I respect answer. the hell out of that. I really do. Um, so just, well, for me, mm. uh, from a writing standpoint for Charlie... I've only actually seen two of the films that he's written. Can I guess? You yeah. Internal Sunshine and John Malkovich. No, no, just no. The, this film and Eternal Sunshine. Oh, I still have not seen Being John Malkovich or Adaptation, which are the other two that I would assume. Yeah. And I think um, his directing debut was Cinedoka, New York, in two thousand eight, which that film is a mind fuck as well. I've heard. <laughs> um. I've been seeing, I've seen it on Netflix. I just haven't been compelled to. I didn't know it was on Netflix. It was at least up until recently, but they have just done a new switch because I've noticed things right. like uh, the assassination of Jesse James has now just been added. Ah, so they're swapping uh, stuff out. And then... So I think yeah, they're swapping stuff. But this is his third film. Yes, yes. His third. Anna Melissa and uh, obviously and yeah. Cinedoka, New York. Yeah, yep, is his first one. Um, yeah, it took me a while to get the pronunciation there to it away. Um, yeah, no, and I was very excited about this film. This is one of those ones where I, I saw, like, not even the poster that's out now, but, like, the teaser teaser poster, mm-hmm. which was just uh, the words I'm thinking of ending things, like, scribbled over and over again across the poster. That was all I knew about this mm-hmm. film, and that it was Charlie Kaufman. And I was like, ooh, this is really exciting, because I'm going to see Charlie Kaufman do a suicide film. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that turns out not to be necessarily what the film's about in relation Not to the title yeah yeah it's a it's an interesting film um one thing that i find fascinating is this film's take on perspectives mm. and sort of it's um how it how it flips because for the most part at least in the first i would say up until maybe the last 10 minutes Mm. It, it's very much told from the perspective of Jesse Buckley's character. Yeah. Um, who was only credited as the young woman. The young woman who uh, <laughs> is given many names many over the names. course of the film. I think she's referred to as Louisa at some point, well, Amy at another point. Well, at first I thought Louisa was short for Lucy. Is that? No. No, because that's what I thought it was. And then you're right; they get to Amy, and then they, I'm like, "Oh, okay." I see and what that's doing when I here. started to start to think that I was like, "Oh, well, she doesn't seem to be that worried by her name being changed. She can't remember. She seems to mm. only have a very select memory, which makes it more apparent." Um, I I don't know how to beat around the bush with this one, Jake, in terms <laughs> of spoiler spoiler territory. Yeah, um, this is definitely a great film to go into blind. I feel like so. I think it's it's a must to go in blind. Don't yeah. go in. Don't. We said like we both did a little post, just to clarify. Yeah. What we saw was you, what we saw. You can't watch this film and not be intrigued of what you just watched. You sort of. That, it's the same Googling. thing I felt about The Shining. When I watched The mm, Shining, okay, I needed to just double check to confirm. Yeah. How the ending in The Shining is with Nicholson in the painting, um, well the photo. Sorry. Um, right, yeah, yeah. How that, how that ending is, 
And obviously, the, none of the same thing here is what's in The Shining. In that, there's nothing that's set in stone, but mm. there are multiple theories in which one of those theories is likely what you thought is what you saw. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, even this film, much more so than The Shining, is such an abstract ending as well. Oh, yeah. And it's one of those films that you know, I think, I mean, people watched the trailer and got this impression that it's like a thriller potentially horror film and you know with all we're going to have these questions and we're going to learn why certain things are happening and this film just gets weirder and weirder and weirder until it ends Mm -hmm. so for you know for a traditional audience there might not be a lot of satisfaction in that but but i think you're right i think we might as well just call spoilers now because i think there's a lot to discuss the biggest talking point that you can take from this without spoiler is 100% ties back to exactly what you're talking about. This film in years to come is going to be an analytical piece Mm. without a doubt because there are so many aspects of this film uh, in particular uh, chronological storytelling um, characterizations huge uh, these sort of things that um, are not black and white and are immensely subjective Mm. and which will make it, from an academic standpoint, a very handy uh, resource to have and teach. Yeah. Um, and I would say that that's the biggest take I can get from watching a film like this. It's, you know, it's probably not going to be heralded as something like 2001, but, you know, mm. it's got the same sort of... I also thought about 2001, watching this film. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's it's on the same level as 2001, but it's... I would say it's definitely in the conversation. I really enjoyed this film. The oh, thing I, yeah. sat, I really, really enjoyed this film. Um, not as much as 2001, but it's definitely got the same sort of academia uh, meat. Yeah. Oh, I, that's a great word for it. Yeah, just a lot of meat too in terms of interpretation. And like you said, I mean, Kaufman is so open about, please make up your wildest interpretations. Like that's what these films mm-hmm. are for. And when you find out that he is the kind of director who allows that, Mm-hmm. He's not being like, oh, there's only one answer and you're an idiot for not knowing that answer. Mm-hmm. That immediately makes it a more enjoyable film because all of a sudden, every little thought that's going through your head, and I think there's a quote even in this film about like, oh, thoughts are not, uh, never lies or anything like that, or mm-hmm. the thoughts are always truthful. Every thought that goes through your head feels more a little more authentic now because like, oh, well, maybe there is some truth to this thought. It's... um. I mean, it's credit to Kaufman's writing because that's that's one of the biggest strong points of it. It is based mm. off a novel. Yes, um, it is. Yep. From 2015 or 2016, I think it was. It's a pretty contemporary novel. Um, and there is a huge... We'll probably jump into it more when we get into the spoiler territory. But there is a big distinction between the novel's ending and the film's ending. Do you know what the novel's ending is? Yes. Okay, cool. Because I, I don't... I knew that there was a different ending. Mm. but um, Hugely different. Interesting. So we can dive into that now that we're ready to jump into spoilers. Cool. Well, Um, I I think the best way to start with this film is, I mean, the premise and the plot, quote-unquote, like the actual physical plot, is kind of straightforward in the sense mm -hmm. that we're following Jesse Buckley's character, or who we know was Lucy at the time, uh, who becomes a young woman, has a relationship that's quite new. I think she says about six, seven weeks with Jesse Plemons' character, Jake. Mm. Haha, it's me. Surprise. And she wants to end things. She wants to break it off. And it's a concept that I think a lot of us are quite related to. And we spend a ridiculous amount of time with just com- 
conversing, the two mm-hmm. of them talking and getting into their characters. And, and what I liked about the Discord, I mean, there's there's so many filmic conventions here in the way like voiceover is played against actualized diegetic dialogue, the way the film's edited, that sort of promises what's what you're seeing as the viewer is what Jessie Buckley's also seeing because she's reacting to things, but at a certain point she stops reacting to those things. Mm-hmm. But I think as characters establishing their relationship, I thought it was really well done. And like you said, this is a the dialogue and the writing here is really excellent. And it, a lot of it's based on the book. Yeah. But I think this is Kaufman's most... This is his film with the most important dialogue that he's ever written, I think. Which is saying a lot. Yeah. For starters. Yeah, it's... um, I think that... Uh, the fact that um, she's under constant different names, there are sort mm. of... Um, parallel timelines going on here between uh, uh, the two. And it sort of becomes very apparent that the story that Buckley and Plemons and, you know, Tony Collette, and I'm going to have to remember... Uh, Is it David Forrest? Is that his name? I think so. Uh, da- yeah, David... Uh, David Th- Th- Thulis. Oh, it's the dude from... Uh, Harry Pres- Potter. Harry Potter. Yeah. Very cool. Um, all four of them. Is that we've talked about a long, a lot of strong four. I think this has been the year for strong four. On <laughs> for the so, big four, the big four. We've had Shirley, um, baby teeth. Yeah, and now this one, and this one's the same. Um, so I think, obviously, this one's probably out of the the two that you've just mentioned. I think mm. Shirley and baby teeth rely on the four way more. This one, mm. it's more a, a, a definitely the first half, but the second half, it's very much a Buckley Plemons sort of uh, situation. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think this is a very similar thing to Shirley. I think this was marketed way more as a thriller than it was, um, particularly the first act, the dinner sequence, mm. um, where characters are just going through fields of emotions. Um, definitely feels uneasy, but at the same time, no character ever feels alarmed by the changing in everyone's emotions. Are we talking about yeah. Shirley or this film? In this film. See, I... I Bar Jesse Buckley's character, because there are moments before she meets the parents... I actually think you're right. When she meets the parents, the demeanor changes and she stops, quote-unquote, noticing the oddities that are happening. But up until then, you know, she notices the weird phone call she gets from a Lucy upon mm-hmm. mentioning Lucy, and she doesn't comment on it, but then she does comment on the... The swing set they drive past. Oh, that's odd. They built a new swing set in front of an old building. So mm-hmm. I think up until a point, she does notice these things and comment on these things, and Jake is very dim- dismissive of it. There's definitely a, a point where it becomes very much like... Uh, She's a, rolling with it? <laughs> well, it almost... It, it becomes very apparent this is not... Not necessarily not... Well, technically, yeah, not real. But mm. it's also not her perspective we should be looking at. There's a certain... Mm. there's And there's enough clues in... Um, so the, the long and the short of it is it's all in, in Jake's mind or the janitor's mind. Um, all of this okay. stuff is a collection of memories that never existed. Well, at least the ones with Jesse Buckley's character, the girl. Uh, she is literally just a girl that 
the janitor met at a saw at a bar uh, oh, many years okay. before, and everything that involves her isn't real. She's not real. And the first time that that inkling comes through is when she looks at the photo and she sees, she thinks she sees herself, but it's actually mm. him. Yeah, which is sort of his way of almost like trying to copy and paste his own premonition on a photo of. Well, that even comes in because the second clue that they're quote unquote the same person in this regard is when he sees, or when she sees his name signed on the paintings or the mm-hmm. or the images. Yeah. So that's like another little clue there that leads so into the, that. So the painting was a fabrication because he mm. could paint. Um, and that's why he gets so annoyed when Tony Collette's character says that he paints and he was quite good at it. Right. And okay. she doesn't, he doesn't want to talk about it because it's almost like a denial. But basically, and I think that's it really starts to amp up when it gets more into the abstract when it's like every time Buckley's walking in a room there's a different shade of, of Tony Collette's character or a different shade of, of, of Thuis's character. Yeah, well, they're constantly aging up and down. Yeah. Which is really interesting. Which is a collection of... Which, to me, was sort of like, okay, well, this feels like it's now actually a lot of different memories that he remembers. Mm. What his mum looked like when she died, when she was alive. And it makes very... Uh, what happens to... You know, what happens to the dad, what happens to Tony Collette's character... Um, all of those events took place in that sort of over his life. And he sort of just, it's almost like it's his thoughts. And as his thoughts are, as the janitor's thoughts are entering mm. his head, obviously the things are happening to, to Buckley and, and to Plemons character. Um, okay. Cause the, I think the thing that definitely supports that is the fact that we see the janitor very early in the film. I forgot how early he shows. It's like yeah. within the first three or four minutes. Yes, and we sort of there's almost like a weird eyeline thing going on where he's looking through the window down, and then she's looking up while she's out on the street, mm-hmm. and there's almost that weird connection there. And then you're trying to figure out the physicality of who's well, where. Well, it's, it's actually in the first three minutes. Yeah, it's because it's it cuts back. It cuts back from the janitor and who's in the window looking down. It's Plemons. Mm. It's back of Plemons, too. Gotcha. So it's it's very clear that they're the same person and what yeah. we're about to go on is... Well, that a... I, f- I assumed really early on is that they yeah. were the janitor and that Jake were the same person. Mm-hmm. And um, Well, it, I... it's in the first... It literally is in that first... It's, it's sort of a blink and you miss it. Right. Um, but it's there. Um, and this very much feels like this car ride is just a journey into his childhood mm. and the memories of his childhood. Okay. And the absence and that. loneliness he feels because he never had a woman there and yeah. i think that's at the core i think that's the most important uh that's the main story thread i think that you can I, take away from it yeah i can see because i i think what i started to get through a lot of the film was it's sort of this allegory for relationships in general mm-hmm. and almost projecting each other because all of that stuff with the you know oh you know he used to be really good at painting all of those sort of comparisons about who was good at what and you know which degree was this person studying for I sort of found it as like this interesting little competition that the couple. Well, it's an introspection having. thing. It yeah. was basically it was almost like it was a degree of self-loathing that this this older Jake had mm. that he was so focused on his academic knowledge that he never developed the social skills to meet that girl. Right. Um, to have that sort of life and at the end of the day, it comes back to what's his, for all of that academic knowledge or how smart or how artistically talented he was, he ended up being a janitor at a high school. Mm. 
because he liked the silence. Which is so interesting because we assume that Jessie Buckley is the protagonist of the story. I mean, it's her voice over the start. We, mm. it, we're very much in her perspective through most of the film. And right at the end, and I had the same thought of, obviously, it, it becomes a Jacophon at the end. Mm. And I thought, I'm like, did the film just swap protagonist? And I think that's more than confirmed when you actually watch the credits that Jesse Plemons gets top billing. Yeah. And I was like, he is the man, he's the protagonist of the yeah. story. And it's it does it goes right up to the end. Mm. Um and that to me is is really fascinating that um it only like the cards are only out on the table when she has that big monologue where she's just you know he but she unloads to the janitor to the janitor yep. to well to Jake well Jake's essentially unloading on himself really right yeah um and that's when it becomes very apparent she's a premonition so her perspective was only forced because the janitor basically articulated the whole story mm. um this is a very Kaufman film isn't it <laughs> isn't it just it very much is so but uh, I. Even so, I feel like this is probably his most abstract, probably. Because with, I mean, look, you you walk out of films like being, it's been a while since I've seen um, uh, Eternal Sunshine. Mm -hmm. So there's elements of it I forget. I do, it, but it is a fairly... Yeah, it's a I would say Eternal Sunshine was probably way more mainstream than this. None yeah, of the well, you could definitely follow it. Well, there's science to the abstractness, mm. too. Um, it's loose science, but it's still there. I mean... They, you never feel confused as to what's going on. I think in Eternal Sunshine, right? But I think sure. that could also be Villeneuve's touch too. Um, that could be a mixture of the two because it was Denise Villeneuve who directed it. Was it? I thought it was um Gondry. Oh, it might have been. It was Michael. I think it might be Gondry. But yeah. yes, he yeah. might be right actually. Yeah, I just want to check on that. But no, you're right. I think that film is definitely. A... No, you're right. Yes. Okay, cool. Um, that film is very more. No, I don't want to use the word streamlined, but you're, but you're right. It's e it's much easier to follow. We're following the same characters from the start to the end, and, and we technically are in this film as well. But you know, we, we get into these scenes where there's sort of this interpretive dance that's playing out, and now now that you're telling me all of this, because mm. that's not the stuff that I was consciously thinking about. I was taking it a bit more literally, and yeah. I didn't imagine so many scenes would have been thoughts in his head or flashbacks or uh, that kind of thing but then you see the interpretive dance where is it the janitor who kills the quote-unquote younger Jake yes that's the, yeah 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 that's right so so it's killing that past mm, and which is it... fake in a way yeah if yeah if she's a premonition she... in his mind essentially yeah and i think that it all comes back to um sort of makes sense why he likes uh sort of given the a you know the this film has a very heavy through line with the oklahoma play which right um, yeah yeah does they mention it a lot it was yeah i think if there was any pre-watch pre-screenings for this i would say if you couldn't sneak in oklahoma before watching this i think that would benefit <laughs> i have not seen it my mum has been trying to make me watch oklahoma for years <laughs> now you have an excuse but um I sort of, upon reading in in the post, that song that is sung is sung by one of the main protagonists, and it's talking about the alone isolation and longing for that woman, which is there you sort go. of a that, through that line a that that solo has with Clemens at the end. But um, it's quite a big deal, and it sort of adds to um, some of the 
when you think about it as uh, thoughts in his mind, it does make a lot more sense because it it honestly it does make even the ending. You're right. Where I always going inter- to the ice cream store that's clearly from like the 1950s, right? The 1960s. The girls are all checking him out. The fascination in uh, in Oklahoma, which was a 1960s. Uh, musical road mm. like roadshow picture uh, might have been 1950s actually um, well even like the cartoon element of it that they introduced yeah i always imagine it as like his childhood and that's like the kind of stuff that you watch he almost romanticizes the stuff that he was yeah. on tv and there's he i completely forgot about this i just remember now there's that little section where um oh god who was who was the director that they jo- there was like this little tv segment where they're in the cafe and zemeckis Zemeckis, that's it. You're right. I, that was quite funny, but I I interpreted that again as like, oh, maybe this is something that Jake grew up on and mm. fantasizes like, the, oh, get the girl, you know, the heroic act. She got fired, but she still cares for him, holds yeah. his hand. Yeah, um, that was a funny name drop. Though. It's loneliness. <laughs> it's a loneliness exploration sort of situation. Mm. Um, and you know they have some really interesting. Uh, ethical device. i mean some of the best sequences are just in the car where it's just back and forth with absolutely buckley. yeah and there are little things like camera work the fact that um buckley and and Plemons never share a frame in the car they never do the. Int- they, i never noticed they never that. do that they do everything in their power to even there are even shots from a uh, Plemons profile or like 45 degree profile mm. where it almost looks like he's only in the car by himself interesting um and i noticed that maybe 25 minutes in i was like they're shooting it so they're not sharing a frame. She's always in her left frontal side, and sometimes she's even looking down the camera in sequences, yeah, particularly yeah. in the the poem that she wrote and recites for Plemons. Right. Because um, it, and I mean, he goes on to say, it feels like you wrote that about for me. me. Yeah, okay. Um, and she's almost looking daggers, which if that is the perspective of the janitor who's remembering this, then that's actually a direct communication to the janitor of the present, I guess. Well, it's what he's longing for. Yeah. Ultimately. Yeah. And, and again, I think the the song that he does at the end to the crowd, it perfectly fits that. And that's that mm. was my realisation that he's the real protagonist of the story. Was you know everyone's in the the kind of the weird looking age makeup? Which... Yeah, I'm. Mm? I can't figure that one out. I'm gonna. Have oh, to why? Do... I think because it was presentational. I think that's sort of the theatre type of makeup you would see to try and age someone yeah. really quickly backstage. I don't know. That was that was my interpretation. It was clearly not like meant to be convincing. <laughs> Before he showed the crowd, they showed the crowd and Plemons was up there. I originally was like, oh, that's really bad age makeup. And then when I saw the rest of the crowd was also in it, I was like, yeah. oh, okay. So deliberate choice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think with Kaufman, there's a lot of deliberate choices. Yeah. No, I thought the same thing. And then after what you're like, yeah, this has to be, um, and even Jesse Buckley having it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Everyone, but, every single person. But I think what makes it so clear is you see Tony Collette with the, and it's like, but they just did really great, age makeup yeah. for her in the other scene so yeah you're right it's definitely intentional I think this is a good transition because you talked about how they never really were framed together in the car nope. I think this is a great way to transition to just some of the fun film techniques they did because okay. I noticed a lot of interesting editing choices very interesting editing choices like cutoffs and uh, sound cutoffs when mm. it was outside the car well one um, thing I noticed 
in particular, and this is something I think I noticed in the trailer as well, mm-hmm. uh, is to do with the dog. And of course, that was sort of this interesting way they put. It. And, and again, with the context you're giving me now, it makes more sense. Mm. The dog coming in and out of the picture yeah. and seeing the the vase later on. But I noticed the sound effect of the dog, like you know, either wiggling or you know making noise or barking, mm-hmm. or whatever, only if it happens when the dog's on screen. So even if it is like you know shot reverse shot. Mm-hmm. the sound of the dog like whips out as soon as we cut away from mm-hmm. the dog and it's just little tricks like that I thought was it's like okay so they're, they're really sticking to this diegetic motivation it's sort of it really and that really and there's a lot of cutoffs and stuff like that mm. which happen with character dialogue and music and, and scenes seemingly having what if they weren't deliberate would have felt like really bad editing or, or um, pacing issues yeah. but this is deliberate because I think what he's really trying to do is he's trying to capture sort of the darting memory of of a, of an old mind. Um, I mean, when you think about how you recite a memory and then you move from one memory to another memory to another memory, there's no smooth transition between the scenes. Mm. It's You remember details from one thing and then you just cut on to another thing. And it, it sort of comes back to some of their dialogue in the car. Whenever he feels like he wants to change the subject, they go through plethoras of, of different emotions from really sad to really angry at each other but they seem to never actually get anywhere in terms of they, they just continue to discuss things mm. and I find that really fascinating I mean she goes from reciting that poem with tears dripping down her face to mm. laughing within five five seconds right because it really it, that's sort of the disjointed uh, nature of the story being told. Well, it's interesting because that's that's almost more performative of them sort of jarring you with how quickly the emotions are mm. going. And the example I think of is when they're waiting. This this is the moment I was like, the pacing in this film is so bold. Mm-hmm. Is how long they're making you wait for the parents to come downstairs oh, yeah. and keeping that scene going and going and going and going and Jake constantly interrupting me. Like, oh, they're about to come and nothing comes. And then as soon as they do come down, we don't even... It's not even like a proper cut. We just transition... Or it is a cut. It's a literal cut where we cut into the living room and mm. they're already seated and the food's mm. ready to go. But with her eyeline, it's assumed that she didn't she didn't make that transition. No. So the we audience through her eyes are like, whoa, that was a very jarring transition. Yeah. But... She again, she rolls with the punches because you're right. I think once she meets the parents, she stops pointing out all of these weird irregularities, mm-hmm. I suppose. Because I think it comes back to what he does, um, and what she does, especially. That's mm-hmm. all because if it's, if it's all a byproduct of his psyche, she's not going to rebel against all of these strange things that happen. She doesn't even acknowledge when she's moving through the house and, and Colette and, and that, uh, Lewin character mm. um, they just agar- credit as mother and father in mother this. and father they yeah. just they age up and down yeah she, and she just, doesn't really comment she on it she doesn't no. comment on it at all yeah yeah <laughs> just rolling with that she just rolls with it and she there's no freak out it just it just seems to be happening to her and if anything she's more just you know the longer it goes on the more selective her memory becomes mm. um, almost like he's tried to build this person but doesn't have enough information to build this person yeah um because at the end of the day it was just a woman that he saw at the bar one time yeah i guess 
her character, she doesn't really have a lot of, we, we, you know, we know that Lucy, I'm, I'm just going to call her Lucy because that's who mm. we know her as for the majority mm. of the film. Uh, we know that, you know, she's studying to be, a, is this like a psychiatrist or? Um, no, it's not a physics. psychiatrist. Yeah, physics. physics, that's right. You're right. Um, but we don't really know much about her personality so much. So well, I, I do think you're right that it's, he doesn't have enough information to create that character himself. Yeah. But, and I mean um, this, and you know, we talk about things like you know, Eternal Sunshine is one of my favourite movies of all time. So mm. Kaufman's well aware of the characters he's creating, and he's well aware of how memory works. He has a big emphasis in memory in Eternal Sunshine, and in this film, he does too. I mean, yeah. the father develops dementia. Um, she, I mean, the seems, mother does too. Yeah, even, yeah. Um, she seems to have memory issues. Um, so for the most part, yeah, they're all got very uh, selective memory problems. Um, well, even just the fact that his memory is bouncing back and forth yeah. so much and he can't even keep track of the age of his parents, you know, meets when they meet the, the girlfriend that's coming home. Mm-hmm. It's all so sporadic and, and torn apart, which, again, is so well done through the editing. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that we can tell it's an intentional, jarring edit and it works really well for what they're trying yeah. to do. It, it, I think it all speaks for itself. I just want to say, cause before I forget, because yes. I, I told you before we started recording that uh, Jesse Buckley was not the first casting choice mm-hmm. for this film. It was actually the aforementioned in this podcast, Brie Larson was meant to play the character of Lucy. And I don't know how that would have gone, to be honest. For me, Brie Larson... Um, I've seen her in a couple things. I, I just don't, I don't see it. I, I, yeah. I still, I really don't see it. I think she's think... perfectly. Uh, she comes back to my Aniston thing. I think she's perfectly serviceable, but I think, um, and this is not even taking any of her out of production sort of her commentary, particularly commentary, uh, yeah. her, her beliefs, which are quite. Uh, polarizing and not very and sometimes borderline not very professional at all um yeah i just don't see her in a role like this i think that i'm really glad that they went with buckley because i think buckley for someone who was born in ireland she's and she's got a really strong irish accent she can put i've seen her do a scottish accent really well and now i've seen her do an american and in Mm. part she does a british accent yeah, I want to talk about that scene in a moment. Where she changes her accent yeah, and yeah, yeah. starts smoking like some <laughs> 1950s femme fatale. Um, yeah, well, my, my take was that there's such an innocence to her. We're kind of immediately on board with her where it's like, well, there's, there's nothing particularly wrong with this relationship, but we kind of root for her almost in a way to break up with this person because, you know, we feel bad for her. She feels uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think what Brie Larson would lack bringing would be sort of that innocence mm. and even her oscar winning performance in room doesn't have innocence and that and that's the character yeah, she needs to be that character in room you know sort of tough as nails puts on the brave face for her son but i just haven't seen her do that yet so i i you know, i think yes i think there's, a dis- a there's also choice. a sort of a despondent distance that uh the character of lucy has because she almost feels like at times she feels like she goes from feeling incredibly like intellectual, but inconsistent in terms of the type of person she is. Mm. 
um, sometimes even feels like more like a shell and a husk. And I, I just don't see that with Brie Larson. I think her performance in Room is 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 really good, but even in Room, I like I feel like you could have got someone. Another there are, there are other people. I don't think one performance is enough to go off. Whereas I don't think Buckley is either a sure thing either, but I've seen her now in, you know, she's been a couple of supporting roles. She was in Judy. Uh, I'm mm. sure she was really good in Chernobyl because I haven't heard a single person that didn't like Chernobyl as a show. <laughs> um, I that saw her in Wild brilliant. Rose at the start of the year. I thought she was great oh, okay. in that. Yeah. Um, that was her first like leading lady role I'd seen her in. Um, this might be the first time I've seen her in like a lead lead role. Probably. Yeah. For, a, and I think she just works really well with with um Jesse Plemons. I think they have a real natural Yeah. natural chemistry. I think this this cast is a really strong cast. And yeah, I just couldn't couldn't see it with her. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting cuz I made the Brie Larson joke earlier mm. on Fantastic Fun Joy. I, I saw it. I mean, I saw <laughs> Larson in Unicorn's store not too long ago and Is she meant to be like cutesy or innocent in that or sort of, yeah. Okay. She just doesn't But she doesn't come off that way. Right. That film's weird. It doesn't really... It's kind of a nothing film. It's, it's the definition of, like, an indie film. Yeah, I still got to... Um, I haven't brought myself up to watch it yet, but... Um, oh, well. <laughs> there anyway. Is, there is that. Speaking um, of the other the other thing, we might as well talk about the uh, the ending differences, too. Okay, yeah. Oh, hit me up with the... I so, want to know. Because we've talked about the ending with the Oklahoma number and the uh, dance, the basically the silent segment the abstract silent dance segment between uh, each of their, their step-ins. Yeah, they're, they're, like, they're dancing surrogates. Yeah, that's a good word. Um, so, well, thank you, sir. Uh, basically, <laughs> that the difference is in the novel, that, that exchange she has with the janitor very much establishes that she's a premonition of her, of her mind. And supposedly, she takes a coat hanger and she just sticks it in her neck and she kills herself. Oh, that's, and in that's, turn, that's that formulates its symbiotic relationship of him killing himself because it's alluded that at the end um the pig's taking him through the halls because yep. he's died he's died he's he's moved so this is like afterlife. an afterlife representation so his his uh Plemons' performance is more a purgatory sort of post-life final visual before he goes and and dies, yeah, and in turn taking people, all of those people sitting in the uh, the audience with him, or at least their memories, what might have been, um, and uh, that's the distinct difference. He opted to have Buckley walk away because then that gave her the power of walking, which I think is a, from a film standpoint was the right way to go. The fact that she leaves him is sort of rather than her sort of doing it out of him killing her in his his mind yeah. he lets her go well it gives her a bit more agency in the story, even if she is literally of... what literally what he said it gives her more agency in the story there you go, there so, you go. There you go. maybe I am Charlie Kaufman no is this an adaptation <laughs> ah uh, cheeky cheeky uh, yeah I get to write myself into this movie now <laughs> yeah it's being Jake Diagrella yeah uh, I got a fun few facts I'll, I'll throw it well Little side notes that are harder to, to throw in. I like the Billy Crystal shout out in the film. Yeah. Not not quite the film we reviewed last week, but no. close enough. No. Um I also noticed that the uh the father's uh see through bandage 
was actually swapping. I think it was swapping different sides of yeah. his forehead at certain points. Yes. I, I thought it was a fun little thing, on, and a, a very inten- I imagine it's very intentional. Uh, and the other one, I thought this is something that I've definitely a conversation I found myself in. But the the one about the baby, it's cold outside. Some. Oh and yeah. It's actually like a rape song. And I was like, oh, I remember having this conversation a few years back. It's funny to there. Fair points. She made very fair points. Very very fair points. Um, but it comes back to the talking about that song. It just adds more more uh, rationale behind that. This is a conversation that let's take it like it's t- because they're talking about a song from the night, like from nineteen thirty eight, right? Which is a song that he probably suppose you have the top of your head. Born, born and grow. I literally watched the movie this morning, so right. Um, okay. We didn't even talk about when we watched it, but um, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I watched it. I I literally didn't have time to watch it other than Friday three pm the mm. second it went live on Netflix. So, so um, yeah, yeah, they talk about sort of the um, that sort of stuff, which just adds context more. Like he's remembering that sort mm. of stuff because that might have been stuff he grew up with hearing that kind of music. Yeah. Do you um, think that? And again, I talked about the TV, him watching the TV and stuff growing up. Do you think that's what motivated the four by three aspect ratio? I'd say so. Because that's all I could think of. Yeah, I couldn't think of anything else. It wasn't sort of like a Nightingale situation where it, the height of the frame helped. Yeah, that's a really I think, good yeah, point. Yeah. I think that's probably the best... The best uh, Expl- yeah, it's the only one I could think of. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I knew is uh, the cartoon pig was an interesting choice towards the end. Um, obviously, he tells the story about the, uh, the pig and the maggots feasting inside which mm. first off horrible story to tell a girl you're about to see meet your parents but it sort of makes sense that it really shows the lack of his social skills that he had which Didn't is she asked though she asked hey what's that tell me about it i don't remember mm. no but you're right no he's a little um, behind he, he wanted a real his... pig um yeah. for that scene but apparently pigs don't like uh pigs don't talk in real life pigs can't turn their it's a couple things so pigs can't turn their heads um, right, to so look back at walking in front the, of him. Okay, yeah. interesting. Pigs can't turn their heads, and they don't like uh, that flooring. It freaks them out. Makes them interesting. Um, that sort of, I'm not sure what that type of flooring is called, like tile liner. Yeah, it would be tile in a school hallway. Yeah, yeah, that was probably tile. I'm trying. Read to a full talk. Like, yeah, there's read a full thing about it. It's like, oh, that makes sense. I guess, I guess to that me, does make sense. Yeah, it's sort of like, oh, why is. Uh, why is the pig animated? Like, I understand why the, the commercial yeah. was animated, but I think that it felt more it, like a production context thing rather than a well, that, that's story the thing. I uh, think purposely. when I watch it, and I'm like, oh, it's a cartoon pig. It's, it's blocking his junk. <laughs> my, my thing is, oh, this is just Kaufman doing his weird thing again that I'm going to have to spend mm. ages trying to figure out why. And it, the fact that it's just a production thing was, oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. going to get a... That's shocking to me. They really couldn't, not even like a, and I'm not advocating that Charlie Kaufman use CGI pigs, but they really couldn't do anything about the neck or the floor. That's yeah. interesting. I guess maybe you just wanted to go for full realism or full stylism. Yeah. Yeah. One or the other. Good point. Yeah. No worries. Um, do you have anything else you'd like to add? Uh, I'll just check quickly. I'm pretty happy. Cause again, a lot of, I didn't, you brought a lot of that interpretation to me. Cause that's the whole fact that so much of it was in his head. Yeah. Was not my initial sort of reaction to it. Okay. But I was also falling behind. I was also like, I still got to work this out. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad you brought it to me because it, 
a lot more of the film clicks now. Mm-hmm. And it would definitely be really good to go back and and see it at that point. Uh, yeah. I guess the only other thing... Well, the one, the one thing I was wondering if it was more of a commentary on time more than, like, you know, memory and age, which are, you know, words they use a lot. Yeah, well, but, you're technically not wrong. Yeah. I think it comes back to everything that we've talked about with Kaufman. I think it's... This is my interpretation. I, I have the... That's how I watched it, and then reading yep. about it post kind of confirmed what I thought. Yep. But that is still my interpretation. It comes back to things like this, or things like in The Shining, the ending. No one's given a right answer. So... Mm. Which Take I it appreciate. as you will. I appreciate that. Um, you took a lot of the time and memory stuff, and and you focused on that more. Which you're not wrong. It does. It does heavily mm. involve memory and and things just appearing seemingly at will. The fact that when they're driving, they're they're driving for uh, an unquestionable time, and then seemingly out of nowhere, they rock up at places. I think the big one, the first uh, the first time jump when he, they're talking, and then next thing he's like, oh. Here we are. We're out, Here we're we are. Oh, parents are coming down. Hmm. You just say interruption, but I think I think what the theory that this came at the ice cream store, and there's a specific quote. I think this is the correct quote, is when it's the third. It's the one with like the bruises on her arms mm. or the, like the burns. Burns. Yeah, it was something like that. Um, it's like the third employee there, and she's talking to to Lucy, and she says something like, "Oh, you don't have to go. Go forward." Something that was like one of the quotes, mm. and I that was when I thought, I feel like there's time manipulation based on their physical location, mm-hmm. and that's why I thought, you know, okay, they're driving, they're driving, there's some weird thing, but, but then when they enter the house, that time's all warped, and that's why the parents were aging in such mm-hmm. weird, drastic states, and then heading at the ice cream store, there's almost that warning of, oh, you got to go to this location, move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was sort of where my head was going for a yeah. while, and again, I think they got a little dismissed. Once we got to the ending, I realized, oh, okay, Jesse Plemons is the protagonist. But um, that was sort of where my head was at. But no, no, it's, well, I, I guess it it's time to move into highlight scenes. Jake, Let's what was it. your highlight scene? I didn't actually write one down. I had no clue. But this actually does segue nicely into the one scene we teased a little earlier. Mm-hmm. And I would happily call it my highlight scene. So when she does her British accent in the car. And the thing, again, one of, one of the things I thought about this film is people sort of projecting certain things in relationships on each other mm-hmm. and my takeaway with her all of a sudden given this like overly critical film review mm-hmm. and she's smoking the thing you know like you said the femme fatale it's all there and her accent that her whole mean is just complete demeanor completely changes and what i thought was almost there's a bit of like trying to up one each other almost because they're talking about this film but all of a sudden it's like oh i need the more analytical discussion mm-hmm. and take it out and then jake sort of simply says, oh, well, I see your point. <laughs> he sort of meets the beat. But I because just, it's his point. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But no, I, I, I'm happy to call it my highest thing just because it was so... It really... Mm. Uh, this film takes you out in a lot of different places. But I remember that moment being like, that was really interesting. Because she, uh, in terms of her performance, she transitions into that so smoothly. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like you know four minutes into her uh, monologue, like wait, did she just change characters? <laughs> That's what it feels like. So I, I really like that scene a lot. I'm gonna have to just say the, I really like the interpretive dance part. Mm, yeah. Um, thought that was really cool, and the conclusion of that sort of the whole stage sequence with that one, and then the last number with Plemons, 
Um, I really enjoyed those. Dude's, dude's not, not a terrible voice. He's got a pretty solid voice. Um, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Man of many talents, he seems like. Yeah, no worries. Well, I'm Thinking of Ending Things is currently out on Netflix. There you go. Go to Netflix, watch it, consume it, and be confused. Buy it. <laughs> <laughs> and no, buy it from Criterion Collections in two years from now. <laughs> yeah, no worries, Jake. Uh, so let's move into what's new in cinemas and streaming platforms this week. It's a big week. Big it week. Seems. A big week. Uh, I'll start off with a disclaimer. So last week, I talked about films that were coming to stand. Mm-hmm. I must apologize, audience. I read the wrong list. Really? I think I was reading a list from 2019 or 2020. Goddamn. So I made a little boo-boo. So right now, I'm just going to quickly list all the films that have come to stand in the last week that mm-hmm. I should have read accurately last week, and then I'll read what's coming to stand in the next week. So... Available right now, okay, because it's coming last week. Films like Tropic Thunder, The Terminal, Daddy's Home, the Australian film Down Under, because it's a little ironic, uh, Paddington, which I still haven't seen, Broken City, and uh, conveniently enough, or something we're going to do very soon, uh, the first Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, because up until now only the second one was on stand, which was really weird. Mm, there we uh, go. So now both those films are on stand, and then coming later this week is Selma. Be Kind with Wine, which is a film I adore. Uh, Apocalypse Now, Red Dawn, Planet 51, the animated film. And, of course, the Blinky Bill movie. Oh. You, you excited about the Blinky Bill movie? Always, mate. Always. <laughs> Always. That was something that was really funny during the last week. I should have done it at the start of the show. I watched the pilot on YouTube for the original Thunderbirds I Go. That you did. Man. That's so good. <laughs> it takes you back. Oh yeah, I grew up with Thunderbirds and just like yeah, I just really enjoyed watching the the puppets. I didn't realize how much it cost to make an episode. You know how much the budget was for like per episode? How much? It was something like two hundred thousand. Just for inflation, US. That's a yeah. lot of money for a show. Yeah, yeah. per episode. Geez. It was really good though. But certain things like the first episode, there's literally a bomb on a plane, and I'm just like, oh. <laughs> 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 Oh, that would not age well. well. I imagine that was like a huge inspiration Foreign... for Team America. Oh, that was yeah. abs- That was the yeah. That was the one. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Which sort of kind of pokes fun at Thunderbirds, the fact that they're this independent organization that have all of these weapons that <laughs> in in the, they even say in the wrong hands could destroy the world, and yet they're basically just like people that come and help you. <laughs> and he's just like, oh, I guess it's kind of corrupt in it. Like, it's kind of a pro-America America. Just a little bit. Uh, but yeah, coming to Netflix this week, you have the sequel, The Babysitter Killer Queen. This is a. Sequ- I saw that. Yeah, Babysitter Killer Queen it looks odd. Oh well, this is the sequel. So they got. I think it's the Babysitter. This is the original one. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you mean you saw like a, an, ad po- an ad for it? Oh, I see what you mean. So what's is it a horror film? I think here's because I haven't seen it. I couldn't tell you. It seems like one of those sort of roadhouse, sort of quirky horror films. Okay. But I don't think it's that well. Like received. Happy Death Day sort of stuff. Maybe yeah. Well, I'm I'm thinking like back in like eighties, seventies oh, realm. Okay. Um, but I think that's actually a very good comparison. Happy Death Day. I think if you're a fan of that film, I haven't seen it. But if you're a fan of that film, I feel like this is also in that realm. Yeah. Right. So it's probably a good comparison there. Um, yeah, also the 2018 film The Duchess, it's coming to Netflix. 
let's see, classics in cinemas this week. We're starting to run out of these, unfortunately, because mm-hmm. I think new films are coming in. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, if you even consider that a classic, <laughs> uh, is playing this Saturday the 12th at Hoyts. Uh, Death on the Nile plays next Sunday the 13th at Luna. Mm-hmm. And then next Monday the 14th, so a week from today, you can watch a double screening at Luna of Call Me By Your Name plus The Burnt Orange Hearsay, which is, I haven't seen that one yet. So really? I might watch it, like on its own. I'm not going to watch the double feature, but yeah, right, right, right. I might catch it on its own. Uh, and coming to cinemas. Uh, this is another big week for this. So Slim and I, not to be confused with Queen and Slim, uh, sees Australia's Queen of Country Music Joy McKean take us on a on, take us on a road of her life, revealing the story of her career, her decades of touring around Australia, her marriage to Slim Dusty, and her uh, determination to be recognised as a performer and songwriter on her own right. So this is a big Australian film, helmed by little local hero. Who worked on Red Dog and Danger Close. I know you're a huge fan of Danger mm-hmm. Close. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, so Crib Standards. And, uh, yeah, very exciting. So it's a documentary, I guess, he's doing. Makes me sad. Danger Close, the, the most disappointing thing about Danger Close was just didn't make money. No one did watched had it. No, well, pfft, mate, no one knew it was in the cinema when it came out, pretty much. Mm. You know, they needed, they needed us there to market it and promote <laughs> it. <laughs> Would have got them ten more seats than they would have ever had. Yeah, I I had fun with the film. I know you liked it way more than I did, but it was a good film. It was just it was more just not refreshing to see kind of a film that felt like a, a big big blockbuster war film come out of Australia, and it just yeah for sure it, it really does disappoint me that uh, because all the money went into the film, the marketing team just put their hands up and went, oh well. <laughs> Well, they had a big budget to make up for, sadly. So goes to show how big marketing is for a film's a blockbuster film success. Yeah, I think it came out the wrong time as well. It was like August, September last yeah, year. Yeah, I don't know why they didn't consider re- releasing a mil- like a pro-military film on not a pro-military holiday. Yeah, were, I, like I remember reading some why, reason why they didn't. Why they know. didn't either hold off until Anzac Day the following year or bring it forward to Anzac Day? I I'll just confused by yeah, that. or I, even remembrance I, day like in november november yeah yeah hold off for another two months put it in november which uh-huh. would also be good in terms of you're getting close to holidays too yeah for sure so but um a quick sidebar yeah exactly but uh hey same director so it it still counts i suppose but um i'm, I'm keen to see it i guess yeah to yeah. support that local industry uh adam also comes out and that's his out uh let's see is it ABIA? It's Alba. Or Ab- Abla. A-B-L-A. Oh, Alba. Like Geordie Alba. Oh, Alba. Yeah, you're right. Alba. It's like Jessica Alba. Yeah. There you go. Uh, a local baker in Casablanca has her life flipped upside down when a pregnant woman knocks on her door. I'm not dyslexic. It's just the text is really, really small right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading from. Uh, let's see. Uh, after we collided... It's coming out. It's a sequel to the American romantic drama After. It sees our lovely Josephine Langford, the younger sister to Catherine Langford, and local Applecross resident, uh, I guess, in the lead role. Yeah. I don't know. I think my brother's girlfriend saw the original film. Oh, okay. If it was very Fifty Shades of Grey, mm. like the yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I don't know. Uh, and finally, Becky sees a teenager's attempt at reconnecting with her father disrupted by a group of escaped convicts. Invading their home. No worries. Well, none of those are what we're watching next week on the show. <laughs> but, Jake, what are we watching? 
Are you excited for this next one, Zeke? All right. Yes, I am. <laughs> next week on the show, we're watching Bill and Ted face the music. I feel this in the wild stallions. Let's rock! When your wives suggested couples therapy, do you think that this is what they had in mind? Definitely. I mean, we're a couple of couples, right? A visitor from the future tells best friends Bill and Ted that one of their songs can save life as we know it and bring harmony to the universe. So, it's happening. Excellent. <laughs> I've actually never seen Bill and Ted, so the Neither. homework this week will be to watch the first two. Yeah. And well. then enjoy watching this one, which comes out Thursday in Hoyts. Is it? I yeah, yeah. I think. Well, I think they've already started screening it. Yeah, in Alu, I saw like events were doing it, but I'm yeah. not sure. We'll have to double check. It's the wide release is definitely within the next week. Yeah, um, but I know I read it out last week as well. Yes, so you did. There must be some screenings that have already passed. It's actually been getting really positive reviews, which I'm a little like confused because I watched the you know watched the trailer and it's kind of like. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it might be the charm. Maybe we just don't. I understand think it's the, the charm. I think people are just ready for this kind of film again. Yeah, and I, you know, I think Bill and Ted. I've always thought of as like, oh, those are like goofy dude wears my car esque films. Mm. I hope it's not because dude where my, dude wears my car is fucking terrible. I do not get the appeal of dude where wears my car. Like, yeah, hopefully it's like a good version of that kind of yeah. vibe. Wayne's World. Wayne's World. There you go. Be more. Which is also on Stan. Yes, so I've never seen Wayne's World either. So no, we got a lot of homework to do. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> but until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. We'll catch you next week with Bill and Ted face the music. Dude.